Welcome nerd. Are you ready to launch 137 expedition into nerdum? Preparing for launch. Queuing bitchin rockabilly track. Priming engines. Now collecting tips for the waitress. Unecrypting files for comics, TV, movies, wrestling. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. Christian, can you smell it? It's in the air. Is what COVID? <laughs> <laughs> no, you son of a bitch! Halloween. It's it's still August, man. Fuck that, Christian. <laughs> the candy's starting to hit the shelves in the stores. You know, spirits are like opening. You know, across the nation, it is Halloween time. God damn it! I guess. <laughs> like I literally like will go to like Michael's, the craft store. Just to see, like, the latest Halloween decorations, because they're, like, the first people to get them in stock. Mm. So, <laughs> that's how sick I am. Um, <laughs> you know, like, once September comes, like, I'm already, like, doing, like, the horror marathon thing. Like, I have a stack of movies <laughs> in front of my TV, ready to go. I'm already planning the decorations and shit. Like, no, it, it's on, man. It's Halloween. What, what's your go-to marathon? Jesus Christ, Christian, really? (laughs) (laughs) Everything. I mean, it really depends on, you know, what mood I'm in. I mean, obviously, I'm doing the entire Halloween series. That's going to be fitted Mm -hmm. in. Um, Romero is a a must. Trick or Treat, you know, has to be in there. Pretty much whatever is my, like, latest, like, obsession. So last last year, it was all Hammer Films. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in the year prior... You know, I mean, my go-to is always the Universal Monsters, so that's always interwoven throughout. But yeah, no, I mean, it really depends on the year, honestly. <laughs> but there's a few staples I always have to, you know, watch. Trick or Treat, you know, all the Halloween, you know, series. Uh, you know, The Shining, Exorcist, you know, the classics I have to hit. But then I always try to grab a few, like, newer movies, too, to throw it in there, so... Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any go-to staples? When do you start? When do you feel like it's safe to start celebrating Halloween? October 1st. <laughs> That's wrong Like a with normal you. person. That's fucking lame. <laughs> I mean, even like Christmas, though, I don't start till like December 15th. So December just... <laughs> 15th? Exactly. You're out of your mind. <laughs> I will say, though, I am excited this year because now that I'm a homeowner, I can actually fucking decorate a yard and put as much crap in it as possible. Nah, see, there so. you go, right? <laughs> now you're thinking. Um, now, are you scared or worried that Halloween will be canceled this year because of our uh, situation with the pandemic? Uh, I mean, I don't have kids, so I'm not too worried, I guess. Because <laughs> I guess for you, it would just be like a lack of trick-or-treaters, honestly, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Um, I do like passing out candy, though. I, I've always been a fan of, like, you know, complimenting people on their uh, costumes yeah. and you know, seeing all the work people put in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I swear to fucking God, <laughs> if these fucking, like, mask holes or whatever the hell they're calling the people who won't wear masks ruin Halloween for me, I'm going to be fucking livid. 
Because, you know, they'll be the first people, too, who fucking Uh bitch about it. (laughs) Like, oh, they took Halloween from us. It's like, no, you took Halloween from us by not wearing your fucking masks. So I will be fucking furious, you know, if we if it ends up where we can't go trick or treating or something like that, Um, you know, because I do I I do have a child. So, you know, trick or treating now is a big part of the holiday. I mean, before Mm. when I was in my, you know, early 30s, you know, or 20s, it was all about the parties and shit. But no, now it's about trick or treating and, you know, picking out costumes and everything like that. So. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a different state of mind, but no, fuck you, man. Halloween starts August 15th. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Absol- if not August 1st, honestly. So once I see that first bag of candy on Walgreens shelves, it's Halloween time, man. Oh, man I've never understood those like early seasons and stuff like that, like for clothes and stuff. You, I, it's just not me. Cause you don't understand <laughs> happiness, Christian. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just cold and dead inside. You are a killjoy. <laughs> <laughs> You're not really in my parade, goddammit. Happy Halloween. <laughs> hey, you know what I am joyful for? What is that, Christian? All the great news we have to talk about this episode. All right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm content talking about Halloween, but fine. Let's get into the news. But before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. All right, we got another five-star review to read this week. Uh, This is from Dave S 480 uh, top to bottom, just a great podcast. The Amazing Nerd Show has been in my weekly rotation for a while now, and I finally wanted to give Damon and Christian the five-star review they deserve. It is the perfect balance between being very polished and professional podcast, but still having fun and not taking things too seriously. Unlike Rental or You Should Have Left, this podcast will provide you with weekly entertainment. Despite Christian going on the record for liking the god-awful Doom video game, I can't recommend this podcast enough. It's a good movie, all right? It's a fun <laughs> video game movie. I don't know why everyone... I it's like a this, fun video game movie. <laughs> I like that this review is in spite of your bad taste in movies. <laughs> and this actually comes from our friend over on Instagram, Order66Junkie. Um, Dave actually has his own podcast right now, um, which everyone should check out, especially if you know, you're know you a huge toy collector, called Toy Isle Podcast. Uh, you can check them out on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Thanks a lot, Dave. Exactly. Thanks a lot. <laughs> You'll be fine, Christian. <laughs> I'm sending him a copy of Doom. That's all that's going to happen here. <laughs> Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, first up, Ben Affleck's Batman returning for the Flash movie. Yes, surprise, surprise, surprise. Vanity Fair has confirmed that Ben Affleck will be reprising his role as Batman for the Flash movie, uh, joining Michael Keaton, who's now also been confirmed as the second actor returning as Bruce Wayne in the timeline-altering comic event Flashpoint. Um, 
Muschietti, who's directing the film, I believe he also directed it, went on to be quoted as saying, he's a very substantial part of the emotional impact of the movie. The interaction and relationship between Barry and Affleck's Wayne will bring an emotional level that we haven't seen before. It's Barry's movie, it's Barry's story, but their characters are more related than we think. They both lost their mothers to murder, and that's one of the emotional vessels of the movie. That's where Affleck's Batman kicks in. Man, they really love connecting Batman with his mom. Martha! (laughs) Why did you say that name? (laughs) And it really starting to sound like they're just throwing all the money they can after the Flashpoint movie. Um, you're talking about just with the cast and everything? Yeah, because how much do you think they would have to give Ben Affleck to come back? He looked like he was going to kill himself after (laughs) Justice League. I mean, what... (laughs) Well, there was a changing of the guard at Warner Brothers, Uh so, I mean, there could have been a lot of creative differences, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's been a groundswell around giving, like, Affleck another chance at the role, since Mm. I feel like he's never really been dealt a decent script. So, um, I feel like those movies didn't work out, not because of his performance, so... um, I'm okay with this. I think it actually makes sense storyline-wise, since it is a multiverse and everything. Why not give that character some closure and actually, like, let him end on, like, you know, a high note? I just hope it doesn't stomp on Robert Pattinson's new film uh, too much, you know, like, where they decide, hey, we're gonna, you know, just go along with this Ben Affleck project instead. I think fans are sophisticated enough to be able to separate the two. Um, I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt. Also, I don't know exactly when, what's the release date on this. So, um, I don't think they're going to be released that close together. I don't think it's going to steal anyone's thunder, if you will. Mm. Um, also, I, I believe this is probably their way of, you know, resetting that timeline and kind of walking away from, you know, Batman versus Superman and, you know, the Justice League and kind of starting fresh, which, you know, makes sense to me. So I just hope that, you know, Affleck doesn't take too much screen time away from The Flash. That That's a concern of mine. But since it is his movie and it sounds like, especially since Ezra Miller, you know, has a lot of creative control over this project for some reason, um, <laughs> I think he'll make sure that, you know, he gets his screen time. Mm. I'm sure we'll learn plenty more after this weekend in general. Yeah, hopefully. All right. Well, next up, we have Olivia Wilde to direct Sony Marvel film rumored to be Spider-Woman. All right. This was reported on by Deadline, um, saying that Wilde has signed on to direct a female-led Marvel film uh, project for Sony. Uh, She'll be co-writing it also alongside Katie Silberman. Uh, This is not attached in any way to the Madam Web film that was already announced earlier this year that has C.J. Clarkson uh, directing. Uh, the big rumor, of course, is that it is a Spider-Woman film. Hopefully that is true. Um, Olivia Wilde, uh, you know, got a lot of critical praise for Booksmarts. Uh, Christian, you saw that film, correct? Yeah, I thought it was pretty well handled. Um, I'm just interested to see how she'll handle an action film in yeah. general. I guess we're going to find out. So mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see what version of the character they go with. I'm hoping personally for Jessica Drew um, as an old school fan. 
but mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they go the Gwen Stacy route since she's very popular right now um, as Spider Gwen. I believe they're actually calling her Ghost Spider right now. Um, and, you know, she had a huge role in Into the Spider-Verse. So um, we'll see. Um, what what uh, version of the character do you want to see, Christian? Honestly, I think I, I think they should go with Jessica Drew first. Her, uh, just because her I know her origins so all messed up. But. convoluted. <laughs> So I wouldn't be surprised if they just stayed away from that, you know, and just want to streamline it. Like, hey, people already know Gwen Stacy. Let's go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I really I'm a big fan of Jessica Drew. So I, I'm hoping, too, that they go that route. Do you think do you think that they would be able to do a Silk film without Spider-Man? They could. Will it be good? No. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, I mean, the Silk's origin so tied into Peter's. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't like Jessica, actually, you know, as Spider-Woman, you could definitely do a film without Peter because her yes. origin's not tied at all. I mean, originally wasn't tied at all to uh, to Parker's. So, I mean, I there that's absolutely opportunity there. But I mean, come on, they're 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 centering everything around Spider-Man over at Sony. So that that's mm. not going to happen. They'll definitely shoehorn him in if they can. <laughs> I guess I just I feel like um, money wise, they're probably going to go Spider Gwen if they were going to do it. Yeah. I mean, the kids know who Spider Gwen is right now. Mm-hmm. So they, they really don't know who Jessica Drew is anymore. I mean, she has her own solo line, but, she, you know, she's not really a main player in the Marvel Universe right now. So, yeah, but I don't know. Well, sticking with Spider-Man, Craven the Hunter movie taps triple frontier director. So, yeah, apparently we're getting another spinoff film. I didn't even realize this was actually happening. Um, You know, I I mean, we were talking about the rumors that he was going to be in Spider-Man 3 just last week. So apparently he's going to be getting his own spinoff movie afterwards, if those rumors are actually true. Um, But anyway, this is (laughs) going to be directed by J.C. Chander, who you mentioned uh, also directed the film Triple Frontier. So... I don't know, man. Uh, uh, you know, he's going to have to be one badass character in Spider-Man uh-huh. 3 to warrant a, you know, his own solo film. So unless they're going to go like Craven's Last Hunt, you know, I mean, I I don't know if I want to see this. <laughs> so. uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. It, I just don't trust Sony right now still. Yeah. Oh, um. no, they don't deserve it. <laughs> they haven't proven anything to me. So, I mean, we're Morbius last- is going to have to be one good film for me to like even think Craven the Hunter could be anything exciting. Yeah, I mean, we are less than thrilled with Venom. So I know it made exactly. a lot of money, but I mean, I wasn't impressed and I'm not too excited for the sequel. So and I mean, Morbius's trailer looks great, but, you know, I mean, Venom's trailer looked OK at first, too. So we shall see. Just feels like a cash grab, to be honestly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right, well, up next, Star Wars Kylo Ren spinoff rumored to be in development at Lucasfilm. So, yes, yeah, so the rumor is claiming that uh, Kylo Ren will get a spinoff project, um, and it's in early development. Uh, Kessel Run's Transmissions is reporting that the project can either be a series or a movie, uh, and it seems most likely they'll be centered around Ben Solo's story before he became Kylo Ren, uh, making it a prequel to Star Wars Force Awakens, of course. Um, but there are no reports that Adam Driver would actually be returning into this role. 
which really leads me to believe that this is this could be like an animated project, which I would be cool with. I actually think an animated series like based on like, you know, Solo's early years is actually a really good idea. Um, there's a lot of meat on the bone, I think, to explore. I was really actually disappointed when they announced the Bad Batch. I was hoping that Filoni would be, you know, taking a look at a different like time period, you know, in the Star Wars universe. Um, no, you get more clones. Dan. Yeah, <laughs> you're getting more clones, and you're gonna like it. Um, so I feel, but I feel like there's so much of this story that we don't really know, and you know, they could fill in a lot of the blanks with the series, you know, and it'd be fun to like watch like a young Ben Solo transform into the genocidal maniac Kylo Ren. No, I, I absolutely agree. I think that's an exciting idea. I just want them to do it in 2D for once. Maybe like even give it a fucking anime studio behind it. I'd totally be into that. You want them <laughs> to anime everything. <laughs> sure. I still need you to watch the Transformers series because they kept on saying it was anime. And I don't understand what that means, apparently, because I didn't I didn't get the anime. The, bleh. I didn't get that anime vibe from it. So, I mean, you're no, going no to have sauna scene, huh? You're going to have to explain this to me, like why it's considered an anime like series. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at cuz I mean, if it's made by a western studio, usually the argument is that's not anime whatsoever. So, <laughs> is it just because Rooster Teeth is like does anime though? I maybe I I And that's I what they're associated with? I mean, there are some. I, I believe there's some Japanese producers on the cyber, uh, the War for Cybertron, but I have to look into it. I'm just not a huge. I mean, I'm not obviously a huge anime fan, so mm. I mean that's your expertise. So I just need someone to clarify what <laughs> makes this series anime. But that's neither that here nor there. We're talking Star Wars. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, so you're you'd be excited for a Kylo Ren like spinoff. Absolutely. I want to see him like kill the leader of the Knights of Ren and become that new leader. I want to see that. I want to see the fucking Knights of Ren actually be fleshed out and be real characters, not just, you know, fucking cannon fodder. See, I feel like that's going to be like a third season, fourth season type deal, though. Like I, whatever I gets us there. David. OK, whatever gets us there. <laughs> I mean, if you're willing to play the long game, I mean, that that's totally fine. Dana, just what do I have better to do? Just be patient. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I guess we could see what like how like Snoke was manipulating him and everything. Exactly. You know where he shops for his good boy sweaters. <laughs> Fucking last Jedi. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of some exciting news. Um, the Exorcist Morgan Creek reportedly developing a new reboot movie for theaters. Fuck you and your exciting news, Christian. <laughs> this is a horrible idea. <laughs> I'm not a reboot hater, and I haven't read the details of the story, but, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm not a reboot hater, but you don't fuck with perfection. And, like, I feel like Exorcist and, like, the Godfather films, those are just, you know perfect movies and there's no reason to touch them so mm. i mean usually i'm like hey reboot everything i don't care it doesn't affect the original you know that's usually my mindset if you got something new to bring to the table hey whatever freshen it up whatever they could you know i feel like you know remakes and the originals can always exist you know on the same plane and everyone could be happy and enjoy what they want but here just 
don't fuck with perfection. This is the holy grail of horror films. I know that's blasphemy to say, you know, since it's The Exorcist, but it is absolutely <laughs> the holy grail of horror films here. Um, so don't fuck with it because there's nothing you can do that's going to even come close to the original. You know, and it's just like I don't know if I if there's a studio I trust to have this. Well, it's Morgan Creek. A... So do you trust Morgan Creek? No, <laughs> I don't. They fumbled the the uh, Jesus Christ. They I believe they they did Exorcist beginning like back in the early 2000s and they fucked that up so badly that they reshot an entirely different movie, released that and that got critically panned. So then like a couple years later, they re or they released the original movie that they shot, which I whatever, you know, with the same actors and everything like that. So do you really trust Morgan Creek? No. With this property. <laughs> just just leave it be. You know, I know that there was a short-lived like TV show on Fox for a, a period of time. I did not catch any of it. Um people were actually, you know, kind of high on it. People were, you know, giving it a little praise. Um it, it's now canceled, but I might go back and check a little bit of that out, but mm-hmm. Otherwise, man, no, no, there's no reason for this. (laughs) There's nothing you're going to do that is going to even like touch the original. So why go there? Is there a director you would want to see take this on? No, (laughs) (laughs) I don't want anyone to touch this. (laughs) But I mean, and honestly, like, I feel like most directors wouldn't even want to touch this film. So, mm. I mean, because, I mean, that's a lot to fucking live up to. So, I mean, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, honestly. So, I, I don't know. Man. No, yeah. All I'm thinking about is Pet Cemetery and how bad that reboot came. And I There's, don't know. Like, just... I don't. Pet Cemetery. I feel like you can do a decent, like, remake on. I mean, that movie sucked. But I there's enough meat there and a lot of things were left out, you know, of the original film that, you mm-hmm. know, were, that worked in the novel. But that film chose not to go that route. So, I mean, I, like I said, I, I don't think there are many movies that, you know, aren't like rebootable. But I don't, The Exorcist is just happens to be one of them. So I don't hate the Rob Zombie Halloween films, you know, and that's one of my favorite films of all time. So, I mean, that should tell you something. Don't don't touch the exorcist, goddammit. <laughs> now, nah, I mean, at, at some point, every film's going to get rebooted. So, I mean, might as well get this out of the way and we can forget about it, you know? <laughs> Whatever. All right. <laughs> hey, Christian. Hey, Damon. I heard you watched a series this weekend. Oh, you bet I did. I watched HBO Max's Lovecraft Country. Just because they don't want you here doesn't mean you're not supposed to be. Gotta get away. This is an invitation to unmitigated hell. Where in the hell did I go wrong with you, boy? I told you to stay away from that damn place. There's something here that's trying to get out. Everything is where. And as it should be, from God to man to creature. A young African-American travels across the U.S. in the 1950s in search for his missing father. Created by Misha Green and Jordan Peele. 
So Lovecraft Country, which is hard to say, <laughs> um, really kicks off in such an interesting and unique way where it's like showing you, you know, all the fantastical monsters and you know, sci-fi elements of, of, of H.P. Lovecraft in general um, in this fantastic little dream. And then it and then it cuts right there. You know, you wake up, your main character wakes up on a bus and you're immediately bombarded with, you know, real life 1950s racism. Our main character is, you know, traveling to Chicago in the 1950s. And you can already, you know, see this world um, from the moment you're in it. You know, how terrifying it is to be an African-American during this time. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting to see because this show... <laughs> you know, focuses on that for a long time. I mean, we're introduced to um, his family and his family, you know, makes a guide, which is, this is a very true fact, actually. They make a guide to um, go to certain areas or to avoid certain areas where, where the KKK and racism are, are at its most rampant. Um, and, you know, you, you get introduced to this. And of course, that means they're going to go on a journey themselves. Um, our main character is also brought home because he's trying to get back in touch with his father, who had left him a very cryptic message. Um, and the journey that we get, you know, into this very racist territory, you know, shows tons of horrifying elements of what it was like to be in the 1950s and be a person of color. And, it, you know, it it really came to a point where I was like, What's more terrifying, you know, the people or the monsters that we are later introduced into uh, in the show? Um, the show is very well paced, very well shot. Um, all the performances have been, you know, pretty steady. Um, so far, the show definitely feels like it has that high HBO quality. Um, there was a lot of elements, and it's not just the, the race element, but a lot of, um, like, the cinematic choices and stuff like that remind me of... Um, the Watchmen series that just came out recently. And that's, I mean, that's a good honor because God, I loved the Watchmen series. So, I mean, if this can, you know, follow in that, in those footsteps, give me a mystery and, and story that is on par with that. I'll be set. You know, I gave that show like a fucking a plus, I believe. So I, that's, I mean, that's some big honors for me personally. I definitely think um, there's a lot that we're going to be getting out of this, like just the the little package they gave us at the end of the episode, showing you know what's coming to the show and everything, um, and the the concept of what is power and you know how power is used um, during this time period and stuff like that. I think is going to be very interesting in the show, uh, mixing you know sci-fi and horror and all these elements together alongside the the rampant racism of the 1950s. Uh, I think it's all going to be very, you know, timely, topical, and interesting to watch. All right, Christian. So it sounds like overall you definitely recommend this series. Yes, absolutely. I would definitely tell you to check it out, Damon. Once you finally get a chance, really check it out. Um, and then we'll return to this uh, at the end of the season, uh, and we'll talk about everything that went down. All right, and give it a full review. Sounds great. Yes. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Made to Order Podcast. Christian, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I've actually got to thank you, man. Wait, what What for? Are you, are you feeling okay? Yes, I'm feeling okay. 
I've got to give credit where credit's due. You're right. My mother-in-law loved her personalized podcast. It was a huge hit at her 80th birthday party. Oh, that's right. You use made-to-order podcasts. I told you, man. It's the perfect, unique gift for that special occasion. Made-to-order podcast creates personalized podcasts about you, your friends, or your loved ones. What I loved is how they work with you to learn your story, and then they craft it into a one-of-a-kind script. It's produced with a professional narrator and music into a high-quality MP3 file. That's right, Damon. They offer podcast formats for different life events, weddings, birthdays, and anniversaries. If you have something else in mind, they'll even work with you to bring your idea to life. And it's a fully digital service, making it a COVID-friendly gift. You can send it anywhere in the world that has Wi-Fi. Absolutely. Play it at your wedding reception or like Damon did at a birthday party. Hey, you can even listen to it by yourself or with your loved ones. Include your favorite memories and inside jokes. Also, it'll come with two podcast style advertisements based on your interests, hobbies, funny stories, or even things that annoy you. Visit madetoorderpodcast.com to get started creating your personalized podcast today. All right, gamers rejoice. It's time for Christian's Corner. All right, guys, today I'm going to be talking about Marvel Avengers Beta. But before that, I wanted to confirm for you guys, Doritos was right all along. Um, Call of Duty Cold War is coming. Uh, you know, the projected window of release will probably be October. Um, as I said before, and the last time we brought this up, it's kind of funny that, you know, Doritos of all people leaked a Call of Duty game. But I actually, actually shouldn't be surprised either. I feel like this has probably happened before. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll definitely be checking out the game. Um, it seems like it's going to be a return to form type of deal. Um, you know, it's it seems like it's going to be focusing a lot more on like hunting, either hunting down some historical figures like um, a mysterious uh, Perseus that uh, might have actually gotten away with some Manhattan Project details back in the day. Oh, or he didn't exist at all. It's it's one of those weird things. Uh, about history where we can't confirm that one but <laughs> um, at the same time I mean that's that's exciting it's it's cool to see that the game seems to be going back to those early black ops one and two days uh, where it'll be focused on like ground missions and espionage and stuff like that so I'm definitely excited to see where that goes I'm definitely excited to get my hands on it we'll see what it's like it's definitely coming out in October it seems especially since that's when the Doritos deal was originally set for so, I mean, keep an eye out for that. We'll, we'll give you more news as that goes along. But let's let's get into the meat, the meat and the potatoes of this uh, of this Christian's Corner this week. So I tried out the beta last weekend. Um, you can check the, um, you can check out my some of my playthrough on YouTube right now. I have two episodes up. One's 20 minutes, one's an hour, because the second hour there just wasn't much going on. So I just put out pretty much almost the entire clip. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. It... It had me very bored. I'll start with that. I was I was kind of surprised at how bored I was while playing it. And, you know, it, nothing really... It wasn't too exciting. There wasn't anything too crazy. And that's... I mean, I played the whole A-Day beginning part. And I did the boss battle with Abomination. And I played a little bit of uh, Kamala Khan. And I was starting to get into some of those missions and stuff. I had to stop the stream there because I had to pick up someone. But, um... Afterwards, you know, I got to you know play a little bit more missions and stuff like that, and I, nothing, nothing excited me about the game. 
Uh, you know, I, I think Kamala Khan's, you know, power base and stuff like that and how her animation's handled is really great. I think that looks good. Um, it almost plays and feels like Spider-Man when you're playing as her because uh, she swings around and shit with her arms. I think it's pretty funny that, like, her projectile is just her stretching her arm out as far as she can. Um, I think that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, every character has those bases, like, it has a projectile throw, it has, you know, it's um, light attack, heavy attack. Um, I don't know if it's enough to make them feel super unique. Like, um, the Hulk element of re-healing himself through rage, uh, got a little bit of front, got a little bit frustrating. I mean, you can see it in the stream where I died over and over again because I kept forgetting I needed to hold, um, R2 to heal him while he's fighting. Um, it's just little mechanics like that left and right. I'm sure, like... What, I'm, I am going to end up playing the game, mostly so I can review it for the show and uh, put it on our YouTube channel. But it's it's not something I'm I'm looking forward to. And you know, back when this was first announced, um, I was pretty excited. You know, um, you know, beyond the the terrible looks that they have, I was I was very interested in playing this game because Spider-Man was such a fucking phenomenal game. Now that is a PS4 exclusive, totally different game studio. Uh, but I, I I thought this was going to be like the golden age of, you know, new Marvel game experiences. This kind of makes me feel like I'm playing a kind of mediocre movie game at this point. Um, and I think they chose the wrong storyline as well for this type of game. Some people liked the Inhuman storyline, but I don't think most people liked the Inhuman storyline in the comics. Uh, with the Terrigen Mist spreading out and stuff like that. And, you know, they tried to make a show out of that, and it kind of didn't work. And now they're making a game based off of that. And I don't know if that's going to be uh, the right material to use for your first big Avengers experience game. Um, you know, I, I feel like I would have rather gotten... And, you know, this almost sounds like I'm talking about the Justice League film. But at this point, I feel like I would have rather gotten more single uh, games. Where it's like, I would have gotten an Iron Man game where... You know, my ideal for an Iron Man game is like you get to like fucking you know, constantly upgrade your armors and like build armor pieces and stuff like that and get real detailed with that. I think that would have been a cool experience. I think a Hulk game would have been a great experience. Like a Planet Hulk game would have been a great experience. You know, like I feel like all these single stories would have been way more interesting than playing this kind of quasi MMO style mission based game where. <laughs> I, I don't know, you, you, you can play each mission um, on the War Table um, multiplayer. It, it, I felt it felt very disjointed and weird out of, out of nowhere. The beta itself felt disjointed and weird. Like, they decided to make you play the A-Day events, which they've showed off like a hundred times already. And then, you know, they just picked a random point in time um, afterwards to play as Kamala and Hulk. And I, I just thought it felt, it just felt really weird, like the selection that they made for that. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I want it to be fun. I want it to be a good experience, but I was, you know, you know stop forcing myself not to yawn on camera pretty much while I was playing that game. Cause just nothing, you know, got me hyped up. Nothing got me excited to play and the mechanics just didn't, you know, like draw me in or get me immersed in the experience. So I was very disappointed with the beta. Um, I might try it again um, if 
if there's a PC beta, just to see if there's any, you know, if it looks any better, feels any better on PC, you know, get that experience out there. But for right now, you know, I, my suggestion for most people is maybe wait for this game to be on sale. Um, you know, don't pick it up day one. Because uh, I, I just, nothing has come out and showed me that this is a, I need to pick up a $60 game experience. You know, um, and, and that's sad for Marvel uh, in general. I mean, they don't need the money. It doesn't really matter for them. Uh, Disney's got all the money in the fucking world. Uh, Square Enix, uh, you know, is, is a great studio, but this, I don't know, this is, just doesn't feel like a, a good game by them at this point. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm wrong. You know, I'm hoping when the game comes out, um, I'll, I'll be, you know, singing its praises and singing the studio's praises. But for now, I, I'm down on it. I, I really am, and I, I feel like that's, you know, a missed opportunity for that. I feel like an Avengers game, just like I feel like a Justice League film, is <laughs> fucking, you know, a goldmine. Um, and should be an easy win for everyone. But, you know, you have to put in the work, you have to put in the effort to make it an experience worthwhile. Um, so, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, we're going to be hearing some about some DC games coming this weekend with the DC fandom. So you'll definitely hear me talk about that next week. Um, you know, we'll get a look at that next Suicide Squad game, which, you know, could be on the same level as this. I'm hoping it's better. But, um, you know, when you put too many characters in one game and you have to figure out how each one's going to play, um, you know, things get a little rushed, things get a little squashed together. and. Um, you end up with experience that's just kind of boring in the end. Uh, that's what I got with the Avengers. So I'm hoping for better out of the Suicide Squad experience. Um, there seems like there's going to be another Arkham-style game coming out uh, that focused around Batman. I think it was WB Montreal has got another Batman game coming out. So I'm, I'm excited to see what DC brings to the table video game-wise uh, this weekend. Uh, I'm still playing Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, that's still going on. I'm going to be streaming that this weekend. Um, if there's anything else I can figure out, because I, I, I think there's a couple indie games I want to check out and put on um, the channel. So, you know, I might do a couple little experiences in the next couple weeks as well. So definitely look out for that. Um, so, yeah, I'll be streaming this weekend as per usual. Um, you can definitely check out uh, my edited down versions on the YouTube channel. Um, those come out Monday through Friday, so make sure you're subscribed. Um, I do have a new Twitter account that focuses on all the YouTube content that we're making. So if you want to check out at Amazing Nerd Live on Twitter, you can follow me there. That's where we're going to be posting the most for the updates for that. Just because we don't want to like overdo it on our on our other Twitter, you know, uh, too much too much content at a certain point. <laughs> uh, definitely check us out there. Subscribe. Uh, let me know what I'm doing wrong in the game. Uh, tell me how to play better, please. <laughs> um, you know, the new ghost stance I just found, um, the last time I played the live stream, you know, that video just came out today and I'm super excited to get back in the game. And I feel like that stance alone in Ghost of Tsushima is going to push me to fight better in the game in general, because I want to be able to get in there and fucking tear people apart. I feel like that's the coolest mechanic that they've added to the game so far other than the grappling hook so definitely um subscribe find that playlist for ghost of Tsushima. check out all the videos i've done so far i'm doing pretty thorough like in-depth uh gameplay of it so i'm not i'm going on little adventures as well as the main mission so definitely check it out all right uh let's move on this week's episode is sponsored by Manscaped. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing you can control, and that's shaving your bush. 
Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. Christian, we're all stuck inside right now, and a lot of us are taking care of household projects that we all thought we'd never get to. Well, I'm here to tell you, don't let things get out of control below the belt. It's time to add shaving your balls to your honey to-do list. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down below. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light, so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower. Whatever floats your boat. Listen, God knows, it looks like I got two caterpillars fighting my forehead. So I was super excited when Manscaped released their Shears 2.0 Nail Kit which is the perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tip tweezers, rounded pointed scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. The Shears 2.0 nail kit allows you to pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. On their website, you'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. This will help you tame that summer swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. You'll also find the Crop Reviver a testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls. And listen, we won't judge you if we catch you sniffing yourself, you fucking weirdos. So go <laughs> to Manscaped.com and check out all these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of the show will get 20% off plus free shipping when they go to manscaped.com slash nerdshow. That's right, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com slash nerdshow. It's time to grab 2020 by the balls and show it who's boss with Manscaped. And the Nerd Show. All right, Christian, so you did all the heavy lifting this week. You actually watched a Netflix film also. That's right, Damon. I watch Project Power. Power, power, speak a little louder. If there was a pill, I'm you better money. I'm coming at the power. That could give you five minutes. Spit it so they get it. I'm embedded with the power. Pure power. I'm embedded with the power. Would you take it? When a pill that gives the users unpredictable superpowers for five minutes hits the streets of New Orleans, a teenage dealer and a local cop must team with an ex-soldier to take down the group responsible for its creation. This is directed by Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman and written by Matson Tomlin and stars Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Dominic Fishback. Project Power is a, you know, it's a show with very great graphics and very cool ideas, but it's definitely a what if story that they didn't know exactly what to do with. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's about taking a pill and getting powers for five minutes. And then they were like, well, what kind of powers could we use and what could we do? And I think they were so interested in, you know, that power element that they forgot to write um, a script that had a had at least a through line and a tone that you know felt right now let me get let me let me say this it it does have a through line which is you know jamie fox's character is trying to be reunited with his daughter 
Um, and that's that's the main plot. Uh, I, w I won't give away too much if you are interested in seeing this. But uh, beyond that, you know, you have the three characters, which are Jamie Foxx, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Dominique Fishback. And the each character kind of gets its own moments, own stuff, but each one feels like a completely different type of film. Um, you know, you get this weird buddy cop relationship between Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Dominic Fishback. You know, you have this like, you know, teenage empowerment uh, type storyline going on with Dominique Fishback's character throughout the film. Um, and that feels very like sometimes Sunday school special, sometimes, you know, just teen drama uh, type of thing. You know, it, it reminds me something that I would see like on Freeform or some shit like that. You know, uh, Jamie Foxx's story is kind of like, you know, he's 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 a little bit brutal. He's a little bit, you know, he's on the edge, but he is trying to get his kid back. And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt is um, seems like he's like almost addicted to the power at times, but it but they don't really fall through with it too much. Um, you know, it's it's very different tones for each three characters, main storylines and plots. But then when they mesh together. It, it gets even weirder like it just i don't know where they were trying to go with those characters and what what they were because it just didn't blend I, i'm just gonna say that it just didn't blend well um you know i just i could tell that they had a lot of great ideas for these powers i mean that's the main focus but when it comes to fight sequences in this they're all very short and the ones that are long they don't get focused on enough I think um, the one, I think the one fight sequence I will spoil a little bit is there's a moment in, in this like underground bar area, and they're showing off this um, pill that they're trying to sell. The the bad guys are, and you know they had this idea to film it from the inside of this tube. They have this woman in a tube trying this pill, um, and you know you're watching her like transformation and stuff like that. While in the background, this entire fight sequence is happening. And like on paper, it probably sounded really fucking badass. And even in the even like after they edited it all and stuff, it probably sounded like a good idea. It kept like, um, you know, your stunt actors and stuff like that hidden in the background and stuff. So you didn't have to focus too much. But at the same time, you lose the fight scene too much. And, you know, it, it dampens everything. Instead of making it exciting and cool, it just kind of makes it a little bit more mediocre, in my opinion. Um, you know, there was never a fight sequence that, you know, you see every little punch. You know, there was never a moment where, like, it wasn't just, you know, super heavy on effects. And then that's it. You know, and then and then there's people that just die, like, right away after they, you know, go superpower mode. Uh, there's this whole chase sequence. Oh, my God. With this, with the invisible man. But the man you know, isn't fully invisible to us as the viewer, but I'm assuming that the people there can can't see his, like, outline or anything like that. That's the only thing that makes sense because they're chasing him through the streets. And we, I mean, it looks like, it kind of looks like how the Invisible Man was when he was glitching throughout the entire time. That's how that felt from, if, if anyone's seen the uh, horror movie, the recent one of the Invisible Man. So it, it was just very like off-putting, um, you know. I just I I couldn't get behind any of the action sequences, and that's what this movie is really selling you on is you know superpowers and action. So it's kind of like when when you can't nail that, 
And your storyline is also, you know, all over the place and tonally just wrong um, when you mix all three characters. It just didn't do anything for me. And I could, I could see, you know, like, if you're bored and stuff and you need something to watch, this is definitely something, I, you know, you could throw on in the background. But I don't think it's anything you need to focus on. I don't think it deserves to be number one in America on Netflix right now. It's, it only is because, you know, it just came out. So, I mean, it is it is what it is, but I, I definitely i am not going to be giving it the highest of grades. I mean, to give it credit where credit's due, they, they really did, you know, take their time and effort on the powers. You know, um, I think Machine Gun Kelly's fight at the beginning of the movie is uh, posted on YouTube. You can definitely check that out. Um, and, you know, the fire effects are very well handled. Um, how his skin looks and stuff like that is very well handled. You know, um, I, I think they, they did some good marriages uh, between CGI and stuff like that on on the screen. But at the same time, you know, too much spectacle with very little choreography doesn't do much. Um, so, I, I mean, as much as I want to say, you know, oh, my God, the CGI was fantastic. You know, you got to do something with it. Yeah, you have to give me something interesting. Otherwise, you know, it's it's just going to be a forgotten film, which I, I I'm, I'm I'm afraid that this will be just in a forgotten, you know, action film on Netflix. You know, oh, you remember Project Power? No, I don't. So, <laughs> all right. All right. So with all that being said, did the movie like bring any kind of like unique power set, you know, to the table? Something that you haven't seen before? Um, not in particular. I mean, a lot of it was very elemental. Like they seem to stick to that. But there's a lot of like they don't define like people's powers too much. Like like our like our main <laughs> our main cop hero that we're following as well. Like he's bulletproof, but is he also super strong? It's not exactly you know explained. Uh, that being said, I mean the uh, the way that they look at least was pretty cool. Like, uh, they have this one um, person that, like, literally is, like, turning to ice as they, uh, you know, try to, you know, use their elemental powers. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think they got the look down. But as far as uniqueness to the powers, even that felt a little uh, on the shallow end for something like this. All right. So overall, Christian, what would you grade this film? I'm going to give it a C plus, mostly just because the story just wasn't there for me. And the, the characters just felt a little wonky. And of course, as I said before, the, the tone is all over the fucking place. But, um, you know, effects wise, solid. And I think that they had a lot of great ideas. It just didn't ex they just didn't execute them well enough. All right, man. Fair oh, enough. I will give it one praise, though. It's the first thing on Netflix I've seen in a while that didn't set up a sequel. <laughs> oh wow it, it wasn't like oh next time we'll we'll take care of all of this you know it, it, it actually ended as they like walk <laughs> off into the sunset together exactly so the, the ending game was not afoot <laughs> so the ending feels pretty like final yes okay all right there, there's totally gonna be a sequel but that's okay oh yeah i mean <laughs> the world is open enough to have a sequel uh -huh. but at the same time it's just like this felt like at least this was the end of Jamie Foxx's character's story. Okay. Would uh, you want a sequel though? Uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to be clamoring for it for sure. Um, if I have to do it for the show, if, if you send me a text, say, Hey, we need, we need to, we need to review a movie. <laughs> then yeah, I'll, I'll watch it, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not interested in a sequel. No. Okay. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. 
All right, Christian, it is time for this month's Artist Spotlight. Uh, this month, we're talking about the legendary Quentin Tarantino. Uh, this episode, we're going to be counting down his top five cinematic moments of all time. That's right, Damon. And while every movie he's had has had tons of great moments, we're only going to do one moment per film, just to be fair. <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Number five, Inglorious Bastards. The bar game. Would appear there's only one thing left you can do. And what would that be? Stiglitz. See how feeders into your Nazi boss. This scene is just drenched with tension. It takes the standoff from Reservoir Dogs and just puts it into overdrive. The bastards, disguised as German soldiers, are meeting their contact who happens to be a film star in this basement tavern. When a group of drunk Nazis begin to fanboy over her, tension starts to grow as English undercover officer uh, Michael Fassbender's accent is questioned. Only Tarantino would try to orchestrate a pulse-pounding standoff with 25 pages of fucking dialogue, in German mostly, in the middle of his film. The bar starts to physically feel like it's getting smaller as this scene goes on. Brows begin to sweat. Guns are drawn underneath the table as everyone tries to keep up the facade of smiling away as they play this friendly game of guess who. The audience is forced to white knuckle it through this dizzying display of cat and mouse, alternating between relief and dread throughout this almost 30 minute long scene. Tarantino lets us hang on every word and movement until Fassbender gives himself away and an explosion of violence ensues. No one does a standoff like Quentin Tarantino. Number four, Django Unchained, The Candyland Massacre. You really want me to shake your hand? I insist. If you insist? The Candyland Massacre proceeds after a marvelous and dastardly performance by Leonardo DiCaprio as Calvin Candy. It all kicks off when Calvin looks to stand tall and end the proceedings with one last insult, a handshake commemorating the sale of Django's wife and only to be met with a bullet to the heart from Dr. King Schultz's hidden pistol. What ensues is a satisfying conclusion of pure visceral brilliance from Tarantino as the audience bears witness to one of the bloodiest shootouts in modern cinema. The juxtaposition from the War of Minds to the War of Guns on the Candyland Ranch is a true reward and memorable experience for any moviegoer. The performances from the entire cast draw the tension to this nuclear end in beautiful fashion. Django's action sequences often rival the bloody affairs of Kill Bill and keep Tarantino's reputation for blood-soaked cinema alive and well. Number 3. Reservoir Dogs. Mr. Blonde. I don't know anything about any of you fucking guys. I'm not going to say anything. 
the Mr. Blonde psychotic dance sequence is the first true shocking moment in Tarantino's career and the catalyst of things to come. We get a taste of his flair for stylized violence and suspense. Even though we hear about Mr. Blonde killing innocent bystanders when uh, the heist goes awry, I mean, to the point where, like, the rest of the crew is unnerved, we as an audience are not completely prepared for what happens when Blonde is left alone with a cop that he's taken captive. I mean, Tarantino does a wonderful job of setting this up by making sure Blonde always seems like the coolest guy in the room. Uh, with his sunglasses still on, he barely stops sipping his soda as Harvey Keitel confronts him. Um, so, like, t when you get to witness the true sadistic nature of this monster as he starts to dance to one of the best uses of diegetic music of all time. Uh, we realize that this has nothing to do with interrogation. Blonde is getting a perverse feeling of pleasure uh, by making this man suffer. Even though Tarantino pans away from this horrific act of like dislodging the cop's ear from his head, it still doesn't lose its grisly effect. I mean, he injects some dark comedy by having Blonde play with the ear like a child with a new toy, but and he kind of lets us up just for a little bit, only to put us back on the edge of our seat as we realize more horrors to come as Blonde grabs a can of gasoline from his car. This ultimately leaves Or to reveal himself um, as the informant to the relief of the audience. But then the die is cast for the rest of the film. Number two, Kill Bill, Beatrix versus the Crazy 88. Kill Bill is probably one of the hardest Tarantino films to pick apart as nearly every moment in the film will stand with you for the test of time. Whether it's Beatrix snatching Elle's eye or the incredible living room knife fight at the beginning of the film, Kill Bill drips with memorable moments. But at the end of the day, the most notorious sequence in either volume is of course Beatrix versus the Crazy 88s. This scene provides some of the best in Katana fight sequences, along with incredible scoring that drives the near 10 minute battles pacing 0 to 60 in rapid succession. It's cinematic gold as so many moments in this scene take different kung fu stylistic choices, yet are blended together so smoothly. There's moments of brutality, there's moments of comedy, all handled and balanced to the quality of Hattori Hanzo's steel. This scene shows off Tarantino's pure love for classic kung fu pictures. He put on a masterclass that has yet to be surpassed in pacing of a sword fight. This scene truly deserves its placement on our top five list and remains near and dear to almost any action film fan. Number one, Pulp Fiction. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? I just want you to know how sorry we are that, that things got so fucked up with us and, and Mr. Wallace. It, 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 we, we got into this thing with the best intentions, really. I never... Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? I didn't mean to do that. Please, continue. You were saying something about best intentions? What's the matter? Oh, you were finished. Oh, well, allow me to retort. 
What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country you from? What? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? While this might be the predictable and safest pick on our list, it's absolutely well-deserving of our number one slot. Samuel L. Jackson is an absolute force of nature in this scene. Playing both good cop and bad cop, his disarming charm helps make this moment as he goes from talking about frickin' burgers to murdering motherfuckers in a matter of seconds. <laughs> the intensity that Jackson displays as he rattles off one of the most iconic monologues in film history makes you feel like Brad as he squirms in his seat in his final moments. Jackson is the perfect vessel for Tarantino's dialogue. You believe every word the actor says as he, his glare pierces your soul. This is some of Tarantino's finest writing because not only uh, Brad and his friends' lives change here by ending, um, it's also Jules' old life that dies in this room. In a moment of dark comedy, a divine intervention seems to set Jules on a new path. This scene and performance accomplishes so much in a matter of a few short moments. It defines Jules' character in the past and also sets us out on the journey Jules is going to take throughout the film. It's one of the most successful marriages between script and performance I've ever known. As if this monologue couldn't be done by anyone else other than Samuel L. Jackson. Tarantino knows how to do tension so fucking well. Like Damon said before me, you feel every bit of Brad's fear. You feel every millisecond of this scene. From the moment Jules walks into the apartment, it's go time. Sam Jackson and Tarantino fire this sequence into your brain and blow it away. You can't possibly think of either person without thinking of this unbelievable scene. And that's why it sits here at our number one moment. All right, tune in next episode as we close out the artist spotlight for Quinn Tarantino. We're going to go ahead and rank our favorite Tarantino films. All right, so usually right about now we'd be talking about wrestling, but uh, in all honesty, uh, we're having some technical issues right now. So mostly on my end, so I apologize. Yes. <laughs> um, hopefully the sound doesn't reflect it. <laughs> But we're going to go ahead and cut the show a little early. Uh, we'll be back next week with tons of wrestling talk since, you know, it is SummerSlam weekend. We've got NXT 30 and even Dynamite on Saturday. Exactly. It's going to be one fucking hell of a weekend. Christian, are you ready for the Thunderdome? That's the real question. <sighs> I, saw, I saw pictures of it, man. <laughs> Have you seen the pictures? And like the test run that they did. And they were like just multiplying the is, same faces in different is, areas. Uh, is Tina Turner standing in the middle? <laughs> singing, no. we don't need another hero. That's I, a missed opportunity. I don't. Like, get that song, though. <laughs> no, really, right? How is it that copywritten? I, it's not copyrighted? No, I, they're not paying anyone for that name. Uh, oh, the name. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, you, the you movie's think, um, copyrighted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I feel like George Miller is the type of guy that would come and sue you. <laughs> Yo, I agree. <laughs> That's why I'm surprised. So, uh, But apparently, Thunderdome is up for grabs. Sure. <laughs>
God, I hope Mel Gibson doesn't show up. <laughs> I hope he does. <laughs> it's going to be a real shit show, so why not? <laughs> oh, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be positive, God damn it. All right. <laughs> no, but we're going to talk wrestling. We're talking to wrestling next week. So, yeah, sorry. We apologize. All right. That does it for this week. All right, but before we head out, make sure to head over to DramaCityProductions.com where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts. That's right, and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Yeah, it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going. And you know what? If you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode, make sure you go ahead and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and see the full versions of these articles, plus a whole lot more. Yeah, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. That's your nerd hub for all things pop culture. And if you're looking to further support the show, go ahead and buy some merch over at Tee Public. They have shirts, they have sweatshirts, I think they have mugs, bumper stickers, the works, man. Absolutely. And you can also head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and find our merch there as well. Yeah, while you're at it, go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestler's t-shirt. All right, go ahead. All right, Damien, what are we talking about next week? All right, well, next week we have a jam-packed show. We'll be finishing up our artist spotlight on Quentin Tarantino. We'll be uh, talking all the breaking news coming out of DC's fandom event this weekend. And then we'll also be reviewing SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver 30. Jesus, I can't wait to stay up till about 4 a.m. for that one. (laughs) that's gonna be like a five-hour episode isn't it exactly (laughs) all right well (laughs) tune in next week um apparently we hate ourselves but But we love you and that's why we bring all this great content all right my name's christian and my name's damon and that's the amazing nerd show blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brother. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. (laughs) 